The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. It's great to see you guys. Um, if I haven't met you already, my name is Brian, I'm the lead pastor here. And I have the privilege of preaching this morning. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open it up to uh, Proverbs chapter 8. If you're new around here and you want to be known, uh, there's a blue and gray connect card that you can find in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out at any point during the gathering. Let us know that you are here and uh, drop in the offering boxes as your offering for the day. And uh, we would love to, uh, to connect with you. Um, before we get into today's teaching, uh, I want to I address something. We had a few questions last week about um, why we chose not to make a statement as to the court's ruling um, as of June 24th. And, and there's a couple reasons for that, which I'll explain. But um, essentially, I started a six-week sabbatical on June 23rd. So it's going awesome <laughs> so far. Um, of course, the, the court's ruling came June 24th. Um, and then we had two other elders who were on vacation and didn't get back until the end of the weekend. Uh, and so... Though I, I totally trust the other two uh, elders to have uh, made a statement on behalf of our elder team and church, uh, I felt that'd be a little unfair to them. Uh, and there's also wisdom in James's words to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, and so we, we've taken time to pray and to consider and, 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 to, um, and to, to craft a statement. So I want to read this for you quickly before we get into uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Now, I don't know how many unprecedented events uh, we can handle in one generation, but it seems like we are uh, fastly approaching breaking that record. The court's overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, after nearly 50 years is obviously an, an, an unprecedented event, and an significant event in the history of our country. Um, and as Christians, we are people of the book, okay, which means that we believe that the words of Scripture are God's words to us. And so we read in this sacred literature of ours um, that God has created mankind, human beings, in the imago Dei, in his own image and likeness, meaning that, that, that there is something um, in humanity that reflects the creating, ordering goodness of God, that we somehow, as humans, reflect God on this earth. Scripture also reveals to us that God has known each one of us in our mother's wombs, knitting us together by our loving creator. Now, you can step outside of our sacred literature and you can go to secular science and biologists will tell you that life begins at conception. So we're not even talking about an issue of whether or not a fetus is a person. We're, we're debating the value of the person. And so therefore, as a church, as Christians, we are unashamedly pro-life. We believe that human life, that all human life, that every single human life has worth and value and dignity inherently as an image bearer of God. Regardless of where that human being exists, regardless of how that human being was created was conceived. 
And so we welcome and we celebrate the acknowledgement by the court that the U.S. Constitution grants an inalienable right to every person, whether born or unborn, to life. Now we celebrate, but we do so humbly and soberly, recognizing that there are many in this country, um, in our own city, and perhaps even in this congregation who are confused and conflicted by the court's ruling. So while we rejoice in the preservation of life for the unborn, we grieve over the darkness that exists in this world which demands individual rights over responsibilities towards the most vulnerable and voiceless in our society. We grieve over the hopelessness that is experienced by some who believe that abortion is their only solution to an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. And we recognize that there are very rare but real complications that exist in sub-pregnancies that can lead families to make impossibly difficult decisions. But our response as the people of God in every one of these instances should be compassion, grace, and truth. So we will, as a church, continue to strive to be a people who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly before our God. We will continue to be a refuge to those experiencing the brokenness of this world and their own decisions. We will continue to come alongside those who are facing unplanned pregnancies and the organizations who serve them. We will continue to support foster children and foster families in this community. We will continue to advocate for adoption in this community. We will continue to help restore the dignity, worth, and value of all human beings in this city for their good and for the glory of God. And we will continue to proclaim, make no mistake, we will continue to proclaim the life-transforming message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that weak and weary sinners can find forgiveness and freedom and life in Jesus Christ. So as always, our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone, both now and forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. All right. Proverbs chapter 8. If you are there, we're in a series in the book of Proverbs because we all want to do life better than we have. And we recognize that life is very complex and we need not just rules, but wisdom to know how to navigate all the complexities that life throws at us. And so here in Proverbs chapter 8, um, we really get an entire worldview in one chapter. What do I mean by worldview? Uh, as the name would suggest, it is uh, our way of seeing the world, okay? Not physically, but philosophically. In other words, it's our lens. Um, worldview encompasses all of the most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the world and, and our lives in it. It encompasses all the big questions of life, you know? Uh, it, what is the point of this life? Is there a God? If there is, what's our relationship to this God? If there isn't, what's the point? And, uh, you know, uh, what, is there life after death? And, you know, all those kinds of big questions that we all wrestle with. 
um, it is my opinion, I think it's an accurate one, that many people, even people within the church, even people who claim to follow Jesus, have an incomplete um, or, or maybe patchwork worldview that will ultimately fail them. And it's the result of what I call theological segregation. Here's what I mean. So we've got, we've got our Sunday Jesus, you know, sort of life over here. And then over here, we have our everyday real life. And those two things don't intersect that often. Um, and so Jesus is not the center of our world, but he's on the periphery. He's out sort of at the comfortable margins. And so um, our thoughts and our values and our pursuits are more informed, tend to be, by the world around us um, than, than by Christ and his word. And when that happens, that makes us restless, makes us anxious, and ultimately unsatisfied with life. And yet, we also have trouble connecting the dots and understanding how Jesus is actually relevant to and meaningful in our everyday lives. But Jesus is relevant to all of life because all of life comes directly from him, from the gracious hand of our creator and savior. And so in Proverbs 8, we're going to get a whole new way of seeing everything. A God-centered approach that, that I believe actually heals us of the restlessness, satisfies the longings of our souls, uh, and provides us with joy and with wisdom in the world. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in Proverbs chapter 8. Now, I am indebted, uh, uh, a debt of gratitude um, to my friend, Pastor Ray Ortland. His, uh, his commentary and treatment on this text was extremely helpful to me. So anything that you find of value is either the Holy Spirit or Ray, not me. I just want to put that out there to begin with. But, um, but it's 36 verses. Uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray now, and then we'll look at it a chunk at a time. We've got four kind of main movements in this passage, and we'll get through the entire thing uh, in the next 36 minutes and 45 seconds, if that sounds good to you, okay? Let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, I thank you so much for the men and women in this room uh, and those who are joining us online. I thank you for the opportunity to um, gather freely as a people to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you as we celebrate the independence of this country, that, that this is a country that is free to worship, that we can worship Christ uh, without fear of, um, of retribution or conflict or violence as so many believers around the world face uh, in, in these moments as they put their lives on the line to corporately gather. Um, and so, Lord, we, we, we are grateful for that privilege and that opportunity. Let us never take it for granted. And now as we open your word, we pray and we ask that you would meet us here. I pray that, Lord, you would speak through me, that you would use my attempt uh, at study and preparation to deliver your word to your people, that you would do what only you can do by the power of your spirit to minister to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to rebuke us if necessary, and to transform us, to make us more like Christ. That is the entire reason we got in our cars and came down here today is so that we could hear from you and be more like you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help us. We ask this in the beautiful name of Christ. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right. Uh, Proverbs chapter eight. Let me read the first 11 verses as we dive in here. If you're a note taker, this falls under the, the title of uh, the call of God's wisdom, but we'll get to that in a second. Chapter 8, verse 1, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. 
To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. All right, we'll stop there. So if you're a note taker again, the first uh, movement we're looking at here is the call of God's wisdom or the call for God's wisdom. Now in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, we are uh, introduced to the several main characters that we see throughout the book. Uh, the, the first is the, the son, who's the, the reader, okay? And then there's the father. Who, who, basically, there's a, it's a letter from a father to a son. And then the father personifies wisdom as a female voice. You can think of her maybe as mother wisdom, okay? And so you've got, you've got the son, the reader, you've got the father, and you've got mother wisdom. Then you've got the wicked man, and then you've got uh, Folly, who's also personified as a woman, Lady Folly. Sounds like a Downton Abbey character. <laughs> Lady Folly, you know, it's, uh, it's weird. But, and there's a contrast between them, right? You've got the father and son, or excuse me, the, the father and the mother, wisdom, speaking to the son. And then you've got uh, uh, the wicked man and Lady Folly trying to speak as well. And these are representative of all the different voices that sort of, uh, you know, try to get our attention in this world. And so very early on in the book of Proverbs, we have a choice to make. Which path will we take? Whose voices will we listen to, ultimately? And in chapter 8 here, wisdom is speaking. Now, as I said, wisdom is personified as a female voice. But from the earliest ages of the church, uh, it was understood that the words here of wisdom speaking are actually the words of Jesus. And so this is Jesus speaking to us. Um, and, and, and he's not quiet, you know? In fact, um, in, in chapter, just to give you insight on this, in, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So anything wisdom, anything of, of wisdom that we're getting from the scriptures is coming from the mouth of Jesus himself. Um, and so Jesus doesn't, he doesn't wait kind of quietly in the background, you know, hands in his pockets, sort of kicking the dirt, waiting to be noticed by us. What does it say at the beginning here? Does not wisdom call on the heights beside the way at the crossroads, beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portal? So in, in obvious places, she cries aloud. So Jesus is not being quiet. He's not sort of reserved. He is, he's moved into the neighborhood. You know? He's raising his voice. He's direct. He's forthright. He's calling for our attention over all the noise of this world. And who is he calling to? Look at verse 4. To you, O men, or O humans, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So we've got humans and their children. I think that encompasses everybody. <laughs> and that's amazing. You know why? Because in other ancient wisdom literature from the same time, okay, you think there's Egyptian wisdom literature and other cultures have their wisdom literature, and it was reserved particularly for the ruling class elite, for kings and nobles and priests and those kinds of people. This is wisdom for everybody. 
God's wisdom is amazingly accessible to anybody who is willing to listen. The question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? All Jesus asks for is openness, humility to engage in the conversation. And there's, there's two commands here. We see them in verse 6 and verse 10. In verse 6, he says, hear, listen, hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Listen to verse 8. What a, what a statement. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. So in verse 6, he calls out to us, hear, listen. Why? Because all of his words are completely true and righteous and morally good. There is nothing manipulative in the words of God. There is nothing degrading in the words of God. There's nothing sneaky in the words of God. The only things that are contained in God's words to us bring dignity to us as human beings, as image bearers of of God. Now, that doesn't mean they're not hard things that God has to say to us in his word. There are hard things that he must say to us because he loves us enough to challenge us. And so the words of God sometimes have a sting to them because they're corrective in nature oftentimes. But honestly, what could be better for us in our self-focused and overindulgent world? What could be better medicine for us than the corrective words of our God? So then in verse 10, he says, take my instruction. So we have here and we have take. Take my instruction, look at this, instead of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. So there's an either or proposition here. Take my instruction or take silver, gold, wealth, or whatever comes with wealth, identity, status, power, um, comfort, success, right? There's a contract. In other words, we have to come to God with open hands and be willing to let go of some things in order to take hold of the wisdom that only God can give. Maybe, maybe I could put it like this. If you want God, if you really want God, you come to him on his terms, not on your terms. But if you will come to God on his terms, he will give you his very best. But we must be open and willing to receive and to obey whatever he says to us. When we are open and when we are willing to receive and obey whatever God says to us in his word, we find that his ways actually work. (laughs) They work. So uh, later in this service, we'll be commissioning our team who's traveling to Tanzania. We'll be leaving on July 6th, returning July 16th. And uh, one of our partners in Tanzania, his name is Richard. Amazing guy. Speaks like five languages. I can barely speak English. Puts me to shame. But he's an amazing, he's an amazing man. And uh, one of the things that he does and has done historically is go into Maasai villages, uh, which is an African um, tribal culture, or Muslim villages, and teach them biblical farming practices. So straight from scripture, here's what God says about farming. 
And what he has found is that when he goes into these places and teaches biblical farming practices, these Maasai and, and, and Muslim people are getting two and sometimes three times the yield that they were with their practices. And then they go, what else does this Bible have to say? Right? Because God's ways work. If we are open, humble, willing to receive what God has to say to us about the way that life works in this world, we find that it actually works. His way of work works. His way of sexuality works. His way of marriage works. His way of relationships works. His way of parenting works. His way of farming works. It all works. So our response to God's words says a lot about us. So before we move on, I would ask you, whose voices are you listening to primarily? Whose voices are cutting through the clutter of this world and speaking to you? Whose wisdom are you latching on to? Is it the wisdom of God or is it some other wisdom, which is really folly? So that is the call of God's wisdom. But secondly, you guys with me? Let's look at the fruit of God's wisdom. Uh, Verse 12 the fruit of God's wisdom. So now wisdom is, is speaking again. I, wisdom, dwell or abide with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and preferred, for, uh, perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. Didn't know there was a difference. And my yield better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Okay, the fruit of God's wisdom. So now the Lord is revealing to us the kind of environment of heart where wisdom will take root and actually bear fruit, okay? And so he says, uh, I dwell or I I abide um, in with prudence. I find, now the word find here uh, can also be translated as come to, which I think is actually a better translation. I come to, I I, I arrive at uh, knowledge and discretion. Then we see all these descriptors that we saw uh, two weeks ago in chapter one. If you're with us when we started the book of Proverbs, we looked at Proverbs one, and he talks in Proverbs one about prudence and knowledge and discretion and insight. So I won't re-explain all of those things. Then he says this, fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Now again, in Hebrew literature, evil is not just vile wickedness. Okay, it is that, but it's not only that. Another way that you could understand evil is um, harmful or uh, ugly, poor, badly made. So next time you buy a cheap piece of clothing and it tears on day one, you can call it evil of small worth or morally objectionable. All of these are considered evil. Um, And so evil and wickedness, specifically in the book of Proverbs, often has to do with not valuing other human beings as image bearers of God and taking advantage of them. 
So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus blesses people who fear him. We talked two weeks ago about the fear of the Lord. It's not being afraid of God. It is reverence for him. It's an, a, desire, a, a desire to honor God, to, a desire to want to please him, a desire to do what is right. He says three times in this passage, he uses the word just or justice or justly. That's rightness, right? To do the right thing for the right people, the right time, the right way, to the right extent, The people that Jesus blesses fear the Lord, honor him, want to please him, desire to do what is right. They hate pride. They hate self-importance. And they refuse to cut corners or to take advantage of other people for their own gain. That's big. And even in the realm of leadership, the wisdom, it's the wisdom that God provides that allows leaders to lead justly or rightly. You, you may know that people do not thrive in environments that are bogged down with rules and regulations, okay? Um, it doesn't, that's not life-giving. That's why the people were under the, the burden of the law with its 613 commands, right? They, they couldn't do it. And some of you are rule followers and you like rules because you want to know how you stack up. But the anxiety you live with, I don't know is worth it because you never know if you stack up because am I doing enough? Am I doing rightly? So we, we know that people do not thrive in, in environments where we are bogged down with rules and regulations. People thrive in environments where the leaders are humble, wise, experienced, courageous, mature, selfless, Christ-like. When people lead like Jesus leads, other people find life and vitality under their leadership. And the good news for you and I is that anyone can become that kind of leader. Look at verse 17. I love those who love me and those who seek seek me diligently find me or come to me. This is great. Jesus says, I love those who love me. Jesus is promising to us his fullness, his fullness to anyone who will love him back and seek him diligently. That simply means to be intentional, right? To not just seek God when it's convenient or expedient, but to set an intention that we will seek God because we want him. We want him. And when we seek him for him, we not only find him, but he provides everything else that we need for life and godliness if we will simply put him first. That's wisdom. Do you want strength? Do you want, you see here he says in verse uh, 14, I have counseled. Anyone need counsel? (laughs) I have sound wisdom. That means strategies for real life that actually work. Who needs some of those? (laughs) Do you want strength? Do you want insight? Do you want counsel? Do you want wisdom for life that actually works? He says, seek me with everything you have. And here's the great news. You don't even have to be good at it. Verse 20, he says, I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who are good at it. What does it say? To those who love me. Jesus is not just asking you and I to take this path. He takes this path. 
and he keeps his word to us even if we are not good at following him. As long as we love him, as long as we are pursuing him, even if we're stumbling on our way there, he will bless us. He will give us wisdom and insight. And he says, fill your treasuries. I don't think he's meaning here monetarily, right? But the knowledge of God's wisdom. In Christ are all the, all, is all the wisdom and knowledge of God. His treasury is full. He's wanting to give it to us. All right, we're halfway done. We still good? Thirdly, let's look at the joy of God's wisdom. This is starting in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. And when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains uh, had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, all the way down to the particulate level, the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he had made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Now, if you have an ESV Bible, right here where it says, I was daily his delight. If you look, there's a footnote in my Bible that also says, I was daily filled with delight. I think that's actually a better translation. It's not that God was delighting in wisdom, but wisdom was delighting in God. I was daily filled with delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. The joy of God's wisdom. So now, uh, as it were, the, the, the author of Proverbs is pulling us back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, all the way to the opening pages of Scripture, where God is speaking all things into existence. And wisdom is there. And wisdom is employed by God. And wisdom is rejoicing in God and in all that God made. So wisdom is saying to us, hey, when everything was a chaotic mess and without form and void, God made use of me to bring order and structure and beauty and harmony to the entire universe. And by the way, if God felt good about employing me, wisdom, to bring order, and chaos, order to the chaos and beauty to the, the mess of the world, you think maybe you could use me to bring harmony and beauty and, and, and order to your mess? See, because wisdom is not ultimately tips and tricks and um, life hacks, you know? The wisdom of God is not a BuzzFeed article. It, it's, more like, um, it's more like source code for how reality works, okay? And so when God is speaking to us through his word, when God is giving us his wisdom, he's giving us the source code. He's giving it all to us. And so... We don't need to navigate through life taking wild guesses and failing and taking another wild guess and failing. We don't need to guess. We need to listen. Because the wisdom that we need is not inside of us. It comes from outside. Uh, a number of years ago, I was driving through town, and I always love coming to intersections because uh, if I get behind someone who has a bumper sticker 
or bumper stickers on their car. You learn so much about people and you didn't even ask, you know? Uh, you know what kind of pets they like, you know their political affiliation, you know whether they like aliens or Jesus, and you know whether their kid is terrific. It's great, you know all about them. And so there was one bumper sticker I saw in this car and it said, um, the answers are within. And I didn't know if they meant inside their Corolla, but I think what they meant was inside themselves. And I thought, no, 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 no. The answers are not inside you. You're the one who got you into these messes. Stop looking inside. That's the problem, right? We need to look outside of ourselves for a wisdom that we do not possess. Do you know what does live inside you though? A hunger for God in every single person. Now, you know when you get that hunger, some of you probably have it right now because it's almost noon, where your tummy's grumbling, right? And you just, you're really hungry. If all of us just went and sucked in like a big gust of wind, that does nothing for our hunger, right? Because oxygen has no connection to our hunger in that moment. What we need is actual sustenance. We need food, okay? You and I, our lives spiral into restlessness and into um, frustration and despair when we chase after the wind, which is exactly what Solomon, the author of Proverbs, tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like a chasing after the wind. And so what we do is we foolishly fixate on good, created, non-ultimate things, and expect them to be ultimate and to fulfill the longings of our souls. We do this with our significant other. We do this with our spouse. We do this with our kids. We do this with our jobs, with our careers. Uh, some of you might be doing this with retirement, right? You've been working your whole life just to get to this point, And now you're retired and you're like, ooh, this doesn't do it for me, right? Um, we, we do it with all kinds of things. Some of us with money or possessions or you know, comfort security that comes from, from money, from st- stuff. Okay, but here's the problem. And all those are good, created things. But when we take good things and make them ultimate, they fail us. And when they fail us, and they will, because a good thing that we make ultimate will never satisfy ultimately, we sink. And a lot of us, when we sink, we move on to the next good created thing and make it an ultimate until it sinks, we move on to the next created good thing until it sinks, and we just repeat that cul-de-sac of crazy. But when we get to the point where you and I have had enough of ourselves, enough of the merry-go-round of madness, and we come to Jesus, we turn to him, and we put him first, and we ask him to recreate us and to renew us and to teach us his wisdom, do you know what we find? He delights in us. Verse 31, look. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. That's you. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came. That's why he lived a life of perfect wisdom and obedience to the laws and the words of God. Not to shame us, but because we couldn't. That's why Jesus endured the cross, taking the blame for every foolish decision that we have made. That's why Jesus died and was buried. That's why Jesus walked out of the grave, defeating sin and death. 
to free us from sin, to free us from ourselves, to free us to find our ultimate joy in Christ and in nothing else. And when we are free in Christ, we are free to enjoy our lives and to enjoy everything in this world as good gifts from our loving Father, Creator, Savior. As gifts in their proper place. Not as saviors, right? Not as things to find identity worth valuing, but as good gifts. All things. I think it's in 1 Timothy 1, where he says, all things are a gift of God and are to be enjoyed for the glory of God. That's incredible, right? So you can enjoy your spouse and your children and you can enjoy your work. You can enjoy good food and art and literature and top gun for the, to the glory of God. We saw it for the second time, saw it in IMAX. It's amazing. <laughs> to the praise of his glorious grace. A joyful heart is good medicine. And a biblical worldview is the most joyful worldview that there is. Because you recognize that your sin is paid for, you are forgiven and free in Christ, your inheritance and future is secure, you will be with God forever, and everything that you enjoy on this earth is a gift given to you by God for your good and for his glory. What's not to be happy about? The joy of God's wisdom. Now, finally, and I'll wrap this up here. Verse 32, we're going to look at the prophet of God's wisdom. Thanks for hanging in here, y'all. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds a life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. The prophet of God's wisdom. So wisdom uh, is concluding her speech, as it were, again, the words of Jesus, with another charge to listen, to hear, and to heed the instruction of the Lord. And why? Because, of the, as the text tells us, whoever listens, whoever is eager to learn from the Lord and follow his ways is blessed. No need for hashtag, right? You're just blessed. You're happy, contented, divinely favored are those who learn from God how to live in God's world, God's ways. He says here, watching and waiting. Um, in other words, you know, waking up each day, I cannot wait to learn what Jesus is going to teach me today eager to hear from him, to be instructed by him. And that means something very important to us. The wisdom of Jesus Christ is the only essential in our lives. Everything else we hold with open hands. And he may remove some things from our hands, but when he removes, he will also fill with 
his wisdom, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. So we come before him with open hands. He says here, whoever finds me finds life, or whoever fails to find me fails to find life. Now, uh, if you remember back to earlier in this sermon, I mentioned to you that the word find can also be translated as come to. That was verse 12. So, so read it this way. For whoever comes to me comes to life. Huh. As I said earlier, Jesus is not hiding. The Christian life is not like the universe's greatest game of where's Waldo? Or hide and seek. He's, he's out in the open. He's at the pinnacle. He's at the crossroads, right? He's, he's in front of the gate at the, at the town center, crying aloud. He's not hiding. He's not like... Good luck out there. Hope you find me. If you find me, you find life. Boom, game starts. That would be cruel. He is right here calling to us, crying out to us. And all we do is simply come to him. And, and the promise that we have, 1 John five twelve says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son does not have life. Life, vitality, flourishing. Who doesn't want to flourish? But the question before us is, are we willing to come to him with our proud, foolish, right, arrogant, self-centered selves and receive with real openness his grace, his love, his life, his joy, are we willing to center our lives around Jesus in his word so that the wisdom of God filters through, you know, our two ears and this meat in between us down into our hearts and we start to, our filter becomes God and his word. We start to, all of our thoughts, all of our values, all of our pursuits, all the things we find important in this world are informed not by our favorite news outlet, not by our, our uh, political party, um, not by social media, for the love of God, not, not by our, our, our favorite authors or, but God, his word. His wisdom. For Jesus even says to us, right, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So that's the end of my sermon. <laughs> um, I don't have any questions for this morning other than I just want you to sit for a minute. We'll, we'll have a moment of silence before we move into our time of communion. But... Um, I think it's, it's worthwhile to think about um, whose voices am I listening to? Who's, am I wise in my own eyes? Am I eager to humble myself before God and to allow him to speak to me and to correct me and to teach me and to navigate my life by God and his word rather than the way that I live now, is my worldview biblical? Is my worldview consistent? Jesus wants to help you with that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a moment of silence. 
Uh, and then we'll move into our time of response. We'll start with communion. Uh, communion is for those in the room who are followers of Jesus, who have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, who have received with empty hands the finished work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. So you can come down these aisles. There are two tables at each station. Sorry, two stations at each table. Two tables. So four stations altogether. Um, there is wine and juice, whatever your conscience allows. And, and when we come to communion, um, I know we do this weekly, and some of you might got, you know, it's just like the thing we do, but um, this, this is a promise of a future that is guaranteed for us in heaven. This is a promise of, of our eternity with our creator where we will be perfected, we will, be, we will know as we are fully known, right? Um, we will be with our creator, our savior forever, and we will feast, we will feast with him. And so when we come to communion, we are remembering, Jesus said to, to remember this as often as we gather, um, that there is a future for us with him. So we come in gratitude. We come in, um, in repentance of our foolishness. We come asking God to give us his wisdom because it's his wisdom that we need. And so we come in celebration. Uh, if you're not a Christian, you can just stay in your seats. But for those of you who are Christians, you can make your way to the tables. There are black boxes in the back for giving if you are regular and want to give financially. Um, if you're new here and want to give your Connect card, uh, just so we know who you are, if, if we can pray for you, you can put that on the back of the Connect card as well. We'd love to pray. But I'm going to pray now. We'll be silent for a minute. When I get up to the table, tables will be open. And then uh, Matt and Anthony are going to come lead us in a couple more songs and we'll commission our team. Father, I thank you so much for you, uh, the wisdom that only you can provide to us. And we thank you that you've graciously given it to us in your word. And I pray that we would be a people who humble ourselves before you and who are willing to receive from you sound wisdom, strategies for real life that really work if we will just open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our hands and receive what you want to give us. So make us a people who are wise, who are not wise with worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom, spiritual wisdom. Give us insight and prudence and all the rest. Make us more like Jesus. We, we honor you, we glorify you, and we pray that in our time of reflection now, communion, giving, worship, that you would be glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.